It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. William James once said, The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so... On your mark, get set, go. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get started. What's the subject today? All right. Our question is, does Christianity require an attitude check? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 14, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Okay. Does Christianity require an attitude check? For a Christian, following Christ is supposed to be a way of life. It's supposed to be dominant in our thinking and our actions, which means it's supposed to dominate our attitude as well. Now, I've been using the word supposed to be a lot. It means <laughs> yeah, that yes. there's the catch. This can be a problem because we often don't focus on our attitude. Instead, we just use whatever attitude we might have at the moment to dictate what our thoughts and actions will be. Uh, you ever think about that? It's whatever your attitude happens to be, and just kind of go with the you flow. You got caught up in it. Yeah, and then and, and and we typically go with the flow. Yeah, so, we do. Really, we want to figure out what drives our attitude, what makes it, shakes it, or breaks it. How can <laughs> <laughs> shake that attitude? <laughs> How can we drive our attitude so it can drive us to Christ? And and so, folks, this morning it really is about. Figuring out what makes your attitude, because your attitude truly determines your altitude, as we'll get into that uh, as we go through the program. So let's get started with a with a soundbite. Let's go right to a soundbite. This was from Fox News some time ago about doing a study on attitude, and, and negative attitudes can actually cost you. So this figured we'd get your attention with this. Let's listen. Well, our jobs can sometimes feel like a grind, and sometimes it's easier to focus on what's not working than what is. Yeah, but a new study shows having a negative attitude can actually cost you on payday. The Fox Medical Team's Beth Galvin explains. Almost all of us have a coworker who's a cynic, and you know what I'm talking about. They see the problems and what's not working. But what do you do if the cynic is you? New research shows that if you can change your attitude, it may pay off for you big time. If you've got a bad attitude, it may be hurting your career. And that's no surprise to psychologist Winnie Dickinson. I think attitude is really important because so much of what we do in our careers is um, influenced by what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about other people, and what we believe about the world. And we're going to come back to that uh, news report in a little while and uh, just sort of build on that. But it's interesting. The study shows that a bad attitude can actually cost you dollars and cents. Wow. So I thought of it that know, way. Shape up there, buddy. <laughs> Let's get the attitude right. So, so really the question here this morning is what makes a person's attitude develop? And, and Jonathan, in going through it for my own preparation for the program, uh, the 
trying to figure out how do you, how do you put it into a into a a phrase that can be easily remembered and that actually reflects what what it, what it is. So it's it's kind of like an equation. Okay. okay. So All right. what what's the equation? It's desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude. Okay. Desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude. And and we're going to develop that thought throughout the program. And the further we go, hopefully the more sense that will make. Because you might be listening to that and saying, what? And then now your attitude is, you see now you have, (laughs) see your attitude is, these guys are a little bit crazy. But your desire is so negative. (laughs) You want to know what makes the attitude, but the opportunity to learn it, you're saying it's not really, really clear. So you're, you're skeptical. Mm. And see, that proves how that works. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to use the parable of the great dinner in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 24, to help us identify what drives our attitude. But before we get to the parable, we have to look at, look at Luke 14, 1 to 15, and see what the attitudes were that Jesus observed before he gave the parable, because he gave them because certain attitudes were a certain way. Ah, so you want to look at the context, your favorite word. Is that a surprise to you? (laughs) (laughs) So let's take a look at Luke 14. We're going to go 1 to 15 to get started. Observations regarding the context leading up to the parable of the great dinner, which really is all about attitude. Jesus goes to eat with the Pharisees. He goes to one of the Pharisees' houses to eat. You know, you don't think about that often. No. But he does. Yeah, yeah. Luke 14, 1. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. So you figure you're going over to have a meal, but what does it say about their attitude? They're watching him closely, right? Oh, yeah. So, so when you see that, what do you think? Now, we can't, we can't read what the attitude was. So it's a perhaps. But perhaps their attitude here uh, was guarded anticipation. Mm. Like, okay... This guy draws crowds. He says some pretty good things. Uh, we're, he's not one of us, though. And, no. he, and he really shouldn't be saying the kinds of things that he's saying because we're supposed to be the ones saying those things. Right. So there's this guarded anticipation. They're watching him closely. And it's interesting. This is not the first time Jesus ate at a Pharisee's home. He did it often. We're just going to give you two other examples in Luke. Luke seven thirty six. And one of the Pharisees desired him... That he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And then Luke eleven thirty seven. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. So you're right. You don't think of Jesus in terms of eating meals at a Pharisee's home. But they invited him frequently. Okay. And the, you got to say, well, was he their friend? And the answer is, no, not really. <laughs> so, you know the old, the old uh, military saying, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer? Yes. Well, there may have been Uh-oh. some of that going on <laughs> to try to figure him out. Gotcha. So, you know, you get this sense of, of um, them really looking at trying to say, well, what's really, really going on here with this guy named Jesus who's creating such a ruckus in our formerly sedate environment. Uh, <laughs> so what does Jesus do when he's there? He heals somebody. Now, that's not unusual. No. 
But he, what day does he do it on? He right? does it on the Sabbath. Uh-huh. And again, this is something that Jesus also did often. He often healed on the Sabbath. But when you heal on the Sabbath and you're at a Pharisee's house. Ooh, trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Luke chapter 14, verses 2 through 6. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, If one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. So he heals on the Sabbath, heals this man with dropsy. Now... The, the, the quiz question is, does anybody know what dropsy is? <laughs> Our number is 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And you can also message us on your app, don't forget. So dropsy is a, is a disease, I guess, that was common at the time. It had to do with watery secretions coming from body cavities. Interesting. Yeah, kind of gross. Yeah. So this guy is there with dropsy, and Jesus heals him. And right away, the reaction of the Pharisees is they are not happy with this. No. They're, they're very discontented. Maybe they're angry. Maybe they're cautious. Mm. So Jesus, in his typical fashion, does what he thinks and believes is the right thing to do. Yes. Heal the man who needs healing. So this is kind of the, the difference between the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Right, because they, they were saying that you can't do any work on the Sabbath. Right. God said to rest. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's and, really not it. So they're saying... Healing qualifies as work. Right. Therefore, you have broken the Sabbath by working. So Jesus, in response to that thought, because he's had this conversation with them throughout his entire ministry. Right. Because Jesus did a lot of things on the Sabbath that, that just caused them angst, caused them a bad attitude. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I won't say that Jesus caused their bad attitude. I think their their perceived opportunities caused their bad attitude, and perhaps their desire caused the bad attitude because they saw Jesus as competition mm. rather than enhancing what the law was all about. Right. And so he, in this, in, this, in this context, says, okay, well, let me ask you a question. He doesn't say it quite that way, but he says, you know, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, are you going to leave the kid there? Or, or what? Or are you going to go <laughs> rescue them? And of course it was acceptable to rescue the child or the animal from from danger. That's right. And so he's saying, this is the same kind of thing. And they had no answer. And the interesting thing with the Pharisees was they wanted to stand for something high and lofty. And then when it was challenged, they couldn't come up with an answer. And so their attitude now is starting to go downhill. Okay? First, they're just watching him closely. They were guarded. Right. Okay. And now they're getting mad yeah. because he's doing things at the Pharisees' house. Against their beliefs. Against their perception of what they were saying, what they represented the law to mean. Okay, so you've got those two aspects here. And so Jesus responds to this. Luke 14, uh, 7, Jesus speaks in parables uh, when he sees a lesson needs to be taught. And he, typically that's how he, he, he would do things. He would tell a story. That's right. And he would try to change the paradigm. Right. 
uh, of their thinking yes. through this story. Exactly, because the paradigm needed changing. So, Luke fourteen seven. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. So, there's several things happening. You have the Pharisees, many gathering together at this Pharisee's home. And, you know, Jonathan, typically when people invite people to their house for a dinner, they invite people like themselves. Sure. Of sure. their same social group and so yep, forth and so on. Makes sense. So, you have others of the same ilk, if you will, coming in for dinner. They're all a little bit skeptical. That's what it starts out saying. Mm-hmm. And they invite Jesus, and everybody's kind of watching him. And then he heals on the Sabbath. And they're getting angry. And then he asks them a question that they can't answer, and they're getting angrier. Yeah. <laughs> and then he notices that all the guests are choosing this, the seats of honor. You know, they're coming in, and apparently in those days, well, I would say in these days as well, you know, you have, when you have the, the table set, you, the, the seats by the, the, the host would be the most honorable seats. Sure, makes sense. So they're clamoring to get into, into, the, into the best seats. So there's several things happening, and so it says in the scripture that he told them a parable. Why does Jesus tell him the parable? Is he telling him a parable now so he can yell at them? Is he telling him a parable to, to scold them, to set them right? When you, when you look at knowing Jesus, what's the attitude that Jesus has here? He, he has love and compassion. He wants to show them something. Yeah. He wants to help them rise above where they've been. He's looking at them as little kids saying, what are you doing? Let, let me help you out yeah, and, here. And, and le- legitimately saying, let me lift you up, like you're saying, to a higher level of thinking. Yes. So that it can be uh, something that you can really gain from. Uh, so let's go to... Uh, Another, another chapter in Luke, just for a, a sort of a counterbalance on this. Luke 16, verses 13 to 15. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who love money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So this is another, uh, uh, another instance with the Pharisees, and, and Jesus continually calls them out for having an attitude that is not being, bringing glory to God. So you've got to find out, okay, great, call them out because of the attitude, but what drives their attitude to get them there? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is... Does Christianity require an attitude check? Coming up, desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude. Is attitude really that important? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Does Christianity Require an Attitude Check? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL, or you can message us on your app. And Jonathan, speaking of messaging on the app, we got a, a messaging on the app right at the near the end of the last segment, and I put it up on my screen and I read it. It was two words, and I was puzzled, and so I didn't comment because I was like, what? 
what? The message was from somebody on the app that said heart failure. And I'm thinking, heart failure? What are they talking about? So I'm so glad we had a commercial <laughs> break because we could figure it out. And what, it, what, what the messenger is saying is that, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees had a failure of heart to accept the goodness and the grace that Jesus brought them. And it's such a profound answer to what we're talking about here but next time don't send me a riddle because i can't (laughs) figure it out (laughs) so folks if you do want to message us on the app please do so we try to uh, work those comments in and really it really does add quite a bit to the program so feel feel to try feel free to try that out so all right jonathan let's get to this thing let's look at some observations regarding the context remember that's what we're doing now leading up to the parable of the great dinner Mm -hmm. and jesus is about to teach Uh, a much-needed lesson in personal humility by way of a parable because he's noticing at the dinner people are clamoring for the best spots. So here's the simple story that Jesus tells. Now, this is not the parable we're going to spend our time talking about, but this is sort of an introductory parable that, that Jesus is guiding the conversation with as he gets to the main parable a little bit later. Luke 14, 8 through 11. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So it's a simple little lesson, and it's basically saying you might want to consider looking at this whole, uh, this whole social environment from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So here's what he's saying, and, and let's put the little mathematical equation about attitude into play here. Desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude. Those who were coming to the dinner had the desire to be well-recognized. Yes. And they wanted to be looked at as somebody special. Mm -hmm. So their perceived opportunity was, i got to get there and i got to get the best seat so that when other people come in, they see that I'm somebody special. (laughs) So the attitude was of... Of um, it was it was a self-absorbed attitude to say, "Hey, look at me." Right. Jesus in the parable says, "Look, I know you want to be special, but be humble, and through your humility, allow the circumstances to bring whatever specialness out that there is." So he's saying your desire should be to go and to and to be humble. Your perceived opportunity should be, let me. Take the humble approach. Let me go to, to the lowest seat and see what the situation offers. And so your attitude can be one of expectation, of anticipation, rather than look at me. Totally different kind of a setup. It is. So really, what we desire and what we see as our opportunities in relation to that desire do reflect what our attitude is actually uh, made of. So this, this is a simple, over, uh, often overlooked lesson because we so easily focus on what we want rather than what a given experience will appropriately produce. And that's what Jesus was saying. And another scripture on that, Luke twenty forty six and 47. And this one comes much later. Yes. Right. right. Okay. Right. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. 
they will receive the greater condemnation. So you can see the desire and the perceived opportunity that Jesus is bringing out in the Luke 20 scripture, showing that the, the, the attitude of the Pharisees is very much one of pride and position. Yes. They're yes. just looking down on others, saying, you know, when you grow up, you should try to be like me. Look at, look, at, look at how spiritual I am. Look at how godly I am. And you can only wish you could be like me. And, and Jesus calls that attitude out all the time. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about attitude. What makes and breaks our attitude? It's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. And, you know, the, well, oh, well, Rick, I'm sorry. Go, going, go going through this, you know, it's the, a mirror program. To me, <laughs> yeah, it is. here I am looking. So, do I am I putting pride and position in the way of Christ likeness? You know, I want to know: Am I messing up here? And and this is really helping me. Well, and it is. It is one of those programs where if you are sitting here saying, "Ha, huh, I know people who do just exactly <laughs> that," those people, then really you really need to insert the mirror in between. Yeah. So you can start to look back at yourself and say the the big the big question: What about me? Yeah. You know that, and that's the really the most appropriate time to ever ask that question. What about me? Is when you're looking in the mirror, to to make sure that we make these lessons work for ourselves. The interesting thing about so many of Jesus' parables, and someday, when I have extra time, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I want to look at all of Jesus' parables and find the core thought of those parables in the Old Testament, because a lot of what Jesus taught in terms of parables in the New Testament, he got from the Old Testament. That's neat. So the the core, so you know that he knew those old scriptures. Proverbs twenty five six and seven is is showing us that very thought. Do not put yourselves forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, "Come up here," than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. That's very much the same thought. It really is. And so many of Jesus' parables weren't necessarily spur of the moment, I think I'll tell them this story, but they were spur of the moment, there's a scriptural written principle from God Almighty, I'll tell them that in, by way of a story. That's cool. And it is, it really is cool how it's just another way he executed the will of God with utter perfection. And seamlessness. You don't even know what's happening. It's so cool. Anyway. And God gets the credit. Yes. Yeah, and that's the point. And that's why you've got to go find those, those sources. Let's, let's go to another soundbite, Jonathan. This, this is from a, uh, a YouTube channel called uh, Fit, uh, Fit Life TV. You know, and this guy's a, a life trainer. And he's talking about reframing your attitude on what he calls Mindset Monday. And so this is, this is be good advice. Number two is to really start examining the story that you're telling yourself in your own mind and asking yourself if that story is serving your highest good, right? Because there's stories that you and I have based on our past experience, our relationships, whatever story we're saying around money, different things like that. So ask yourself, what is the story I'm telling myself? Is it serving me to my highest good? And give it some time. Really think about it. When is the last time you just sat for 30 to 45 minutes and thought about your life? And so it's, it's an interesting uh, approach. What's the story that you're telling yourself? And he's right. We all tell ourselves certain stories. The Pharisees, we can see the story that the Pharisees were telling themselves. I'm important. 
I need to be perceived as important, so I will do the things that make me to be perceived as important. That was a constant story that they told themselves and that they acted out. And the interesting thing is Jesus would say to them through his teachings and his challenging of them, he would say, and I'm obviously doing a lot of paraphrasing here, he would say, no, you're not really that important at all. You're just another individual who's got a lot to learn. Let me help you. And he would bring that down and he'd make them angry because the story was bringing him to the wrong place. So what... The desire. The desire was to be recognized. The perceived opportunity was in terms of their own label. I'm a Pharisee. So the attitude was condescension. It's interesting how it all all works and how our attitude, once we get to a point of an attitude here, uh, you know, sometimes we we really lose our, our, our way. So Jesus is... Next, in Luke 14, we're working our way up to the parable, Luke 14, 12 to 14, he gives a kind piece of advice to his host based on the previous parable. So he told the parable to the general group, and now uh, he's going to be specific, be speaking specifically to the host. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That is dramatic. And it's interesting, the way Jesus is not speaking out of anger. You know, he's not, he's not calling, like in, in Matthew 20, uh, 23, where he calls the, the Pharisees, you know, hypocrites and whited sepulchers and all of that. Right. It's <laughs> really hollering at right, that point. Right, right. Here, he is kindly suggesting to the host a whole different way of thinking. Mm. He's saying to the, to, to, the, to the host, he's challenging him, break the code. Step out of the give-to-get attitude into an attitude of benevolence. Give where you can't get. How about that? That's the highest form of love, the agape love. And and, and so Jesus, and he's saying, look, you should be, and it's really interesting, and, and when you look at the idea of what Christianity is supposed to do for us, and... And, and, and think about that because a lot of times the attitude of Christianity today is what can Christianity do for me? Yeah. But yeah. what they're looking for to have Christianity do for them, and we're going to really talk about this uh, later on in the program, is to get stuff, is to get uh, position, is to get wealth, is to get comfort, is to get personal um, satisfaction. What Christianity is supposed to do for us is to bring us to a point of humility and to following after the will of God. That's a whole different ball game. That's something entirely new to what was happening here in, in, in this environment. And Jesus says, he says, you know, don't invite people like yourself. Next time you, you have a dinner, invite people who can't repay you and you'll get your reward. But, Later. Right. <laughs> not right now. But it's a whole different attitude. Break the code. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is a principle that not only applied to the Pharisees, but James obviously writes much, much later to Christians only. And here's what he says. My brothers and sisters, 
Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? So that is a loaded question. You're, you're, you are living acts of favoritism, you know, one group over another, so forth and so on within Christianity. Do you really believe in the glorious Lord Jesus? I mean, James, James <laughs> was, is, is not known to be really uh, overly tactful. You think, wake up here. Yes, He's challenging the very core of their belief because he's looking at their actions. For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and saying, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So he's saying you are you are you are looking on the outward appearance and you are become judges and it's not a good thing no matter how you slice it. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to become heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? So James's thought is very much along the lines of what Jesus was teaching. James's thought is, look, just because someone doesn't have a lot doesn't mean that they are less worthy, less valuable. As a matter of fact, they are most likely more valuable in the eyes of God. Because of a more humble right. attitude. So, so what's the attitude comparison here? Desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude. When we look at those around us, what eyes are we looking with? Are they eyes of social or political standing and comparison? Or are they the eyes of understanding and compassion? Which set of eyes have you chosen to use? What do we do with what we see? Those are the things that Jesus uh, is teaching in, in this context, and he'll be getting to in the parable. And Jonathan, let's quickly go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good morning, Carol, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. I have a question for you. Yes. Is attitude and personality uh, the same? You, could be, have a, you can have a good personality. Okay, but something could happen where your attitude is completely shattered by, you know, something really big. And then, you know, like, how do you differ? Is it the same? No, 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 not even close. And, and a really good example of that question, Carol, and it is a really good question, mm -hmm. is the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. Remember, before he was converted to Christianity, he was Saul of Tarsus. Mm -hmm. And he spent all of his time persecuting and doing things that were evil. Okay. But God saw good in him. Because he his 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 character was was a good character, and he was converted, and then he did only good for the rest of his life. Right. So no personality and attitude are very very different, and someone with a very good strong character and personality can still have a very bad attitude. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, thank you. That that was one of my thoughts when I heard your question. All right, Carol. Thanks for calling in. Thank we appreciate you. it. Bye bye. Take bye -bye. care. So, and, and it is important to understand that attitude is something that can come and go. Attitude is something that we can change. So the, the purpose of today's program is to figure out what drives our attitude so that we can figure out how can, we can change our attitude depending on the circumstances that we end up facing, uh, being faced with. And for Satan uh, to thwart God's plan, he needs to keep us off focus, yes. off the mark, um, to distract us uh, from being faithful hurt our attitude so we, we don't grow. So what Satan will do is he will use certain desires that we have and certain perceived opportunities to subtly get our attitude that to, to not be a Christ-like attitude. And that is the attitude danger zone.
This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Does Christianity Require an Attitude Check? Coming up, can your attitude make you a good guy or a bad guy? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Does Christianity Require an Attitude Change? Uh, we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 866- 985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition at ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, you know, as we closed out last segment, I mentioned, uh, you know, you're getting into the attitude danger zone. Yes. So Matt, who's running the board today, you know, started singing, you know, a, a little a little danger zone song. Matt, I don't know. You want to sing it for us? No, <laughs> he's all the way across the room. He's as so far away from his mic as he can be. You know, highway to the danger zone. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and look, once, it, but, you know, all seriousness now, when attitude can bring us to all kinds of places, and, and some of them are very dangerous in terms of what we are looking to accomplish in our lives. If our attitude is not on the same page as our objectives for life, we're, we're in big trouble. You're right. Because attitude has much to do with what we actually get done and what we actually accomplish. So, Jonathan, let's sum up the context that we've been talking about here. There's several quick bullet points. Jesus goes to eat with the Pharisees, and they watch him closely. Okay. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. The Pharisees don't like it, but have no answer. (laughs) And that's typical. Jesus speaks in parables when he sees a lesson needed to be taught shows his love and compassion. So Jesus' attitude was one of building up. The Pharisees' attitudes were those of of skepticism and tearing down. Jesus teaches a much-needed lesson in personal humility by way of a parable. And Jesus gives a kind admonishing to his hosts based on the previous parable. So Jesus is really focusing on the attitudes that are being displayed before him. Let's go back before we get into the actual parable. Let's go back to the uh, that Fox News report on negative attitude can cost you at, in the workplace. So Matt, let's go to uh, soundbite uh, number three. New research published by the American Psychological Association shows that cynicism or having a negative attitude can have a toxic effect on a person's earnings. I think part of the problem with cynicism in the workplace is that nobody really wants to work with someone who's negative and difficult. And a lot of work that we do is team-based. One German study of 16,000 workers found that those who reported lower levels of cynicism on the job earned on average about $300 a month more than their more cynical co-workers. I think cynicism can impact your level of productivity, it can impact your um, relationship with your co-workers or your boss. Um, the cynicism will show up in um, evaluations that you get and, and those evaluations ultimately lead to- towards pay increases. Nobody likes a cynic and cynicism is an attitude. And when we have a cynical attitude about things, we're not looking toward anything good. We're not seeing anything valuable and positive. How do you get cynical? What is it that you desire? What do you see as a perceived opportunity? And my guess is whatever you desire, the perceived opportunity is not there. 
Yeah. So you become cynical as a result. That is poison. It's dangerous to end up in that kind of a place. But it can happen easily, and it can cost you money <laughs> besides. Yes. Jonathan, let's go back to the phones. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, a very timely topic. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. See, he's got a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope this doesn't sound like a boast. Uh, but uh, going to the uh, issue of giving something that, you know, a, a gift that cannot be repaid, mm-hmm. it, it's, this, this came to mind. Yesterday I was at the barber shop, and uh, the place was just full, all the seats taken. So this lady comes in, a uh, younger woman with two children, and nobody, you know, uh, gets up to give her a seat. So I got up and says, lady, you know, you take my seat. And uh, she was reluctant, but she finally took took my seat. Now, what I gave her, she could never repay me. <laughs> right, right. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not, she's not going to offer a seat to me in, in the future. But anyway, uh, I, I like that. What a wonderful thought to give where it cannot be repaid. And then I have two scriptures to share with you on this issue of attitude. One is uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine. That's the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. I'll just read one of the verses. Uh, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then uh, the next verse is how God rewards or punishes or rewards according to the heart condition. Uh, The second scripture that I'll leave you with is uh, a a familiar one, too, is Proverbs 23, 7 where it says that uh, I, I'll just share with you, I, I, won't quote, I won't read it. It says that uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's all in the heart, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. God bless. You too. And, and great, great scripture. You know, the heart is deceitful above all. <laughs> and, but the idea is what we feel is contributory toward our attitude, and our attitude directly affects what we do and what we think. So it is so important to get all of these things straight. Thanks, uh, Julius, for the scriptures and the thoughts. And uh, it is good to, to give where you can't get back. And a lot of, if you do it a lot of little times during the day, they don't have to be big things. You can really, really change your attitude and the attitude of those that you may give to. Good point. So really we have great power. It's contagious. It is. It can be. So all of the things that you, you, you talked about in terms of summation from the context, all of these things set the context for uh, Jesus to speak the next parable uh, to a specific dinner guest, which is kind of interesting. Luke fourteen fifteen and 16. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. So one of the dinner guests says after the previous parable, says something that, you know, you were talking it's, to be. It's kind of a strange statement. Yeah, like, why would you say that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and really, that was a, a, a statement. It was kind of like an idiom from the day of, okay, we're doing this now, but blessed is somebody who, who, who can have a meal in the kingdom of God. That's even better. So it was a common phrase or a common statement of the day. All right. And Jesus takes that, looks at that particular dinner guest, and begins 
t- teaching the next parable, which we're going to spend our, the rest of the program on. With that little prodding about the kingdom, Jesus teaches the main lesson. And he says, then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. So let's figure out. Someone gave a great dinner. Jonathan, who would that someone be in the parable? How about God? That's a good idea. <laughs> God had, uh, himself had prepared the Messiah to bring a calling of blessing. So when we look at this parable, we're going to look at it as God being in control in the parable. And a good scripture to sort of back that up, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So this is God speaking to Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet of the Old Testament. So God is saying that I'm going to send you Elijah to draw the people to me. Okay, so we're going to hold that thought. We're going to come back to it in just a couple of minutes. We're looking at this parable and saying God is the master of the house in this particular story that Jesus is telling. Right. So it says, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. Okay, invited many. Who would the many be? I think they represent the Jewish people. And we know that the call of the gospel went exclusively to the Jews. Initially, yes, until the national rejection, and Jesus says, you know, your house is left to you desolate. Right. But until then... They had the privilege. Right. Right. And actually, it was exclusively even after, after Pentecost up until the, the uh, um, conversion of Cornelius. Right. Which was, I think, three and a half years later. That's right. Good, so, good point. So this in- invitation went out to many. Now, interestingly, uh, commentator on Scripture, uh, Russell says, well, just re- read what he says. It was customary to send out the notifications long in advance without specif- uh, specifying exactly the time which would depend upon contingent circumstances. So in other words, you're going to have a, a great dinner at your, at your home, and you send out your invitations in advance so people know that at a, at a, you know, on, on the week of... It's going to be coming. It's going to be coming. All right. So we want you to be there. You give people... Be prepared. Right. You give people plenty of notice. And that's one of the keys here in terms of understanding this. You give people plenty of notice. And now when you go back to the Malachi scripture where it says, I'm going to be sending Elijah to get the people ready, mm-hmm. you can see you can, that, that idea of invitation, yes. of, of pre- preparation. So... We were saying invited many does mean that the, the Jewish people at the very beginning of this parable because they did have very specific and distinct privilege. Amos chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, we're focusing on the, the, the positive part of that scripture today, not the negative part. Right, right. You know, Therefore, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Well, that is a privilege. Right. A very distinct privilege. And they had an expectation of the promised seed at this particular time of the time, time of Jesus' first advent as well. And, and that's told to us in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in, of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, 
Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay homage to him. So where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? They had this expectation. Everything was in place. So when you see the parable being outlined and we realize God is the, is the master of the house. Yes. And he's invited many. He's invited those who have privilege. The Jewish people. So now we, we've got those two parts. Now Luke 14, verse 17, the next verse in the parable says what? At that time. For the dinner, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. So, putting it all in perspective, God is the one who, who has the dinner. He invites the Jewish people. Who would this servant be? John the Baptist. Okay. The servant John the Baptist is here foretold. How important is attitude? Look at what the angel said about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Remember, the angel's talking to Zechariah. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a son, and Zechariah doesn't believe it. But uh, here's what the angel, how the angel describes John the Baptist. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John's work, he, you know what John was? What was he? John was an attitude adjuster. (laughs) That's what he was. Okay. He was sent of God. As prophesied in Malachi, as reiterated in Luke that you just read that the angel told uh, John's father, acceptance of Messiah depends on attitude. Because John's whole message was repent. Repent. Repentance begins with attitude and then goes to action. If you don't have the attitude that is willing to repent, you can't perform the actions of repentance. So asking for forgiveness is a humble attitude. Yes, it is. And, and the people were not walking around in general with that kind of humble attitude. So the servant, John the Baptist, in the parable goes out with the invitations. Everything is ready. You need to prepare yourself. For Messiah. Right. For the coming event, for the dinner. It's, it's like Messiah is the dinner itself kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, in, in some ways. So John's work was to refocus the desire of the people. So when you think about it, the desire of the people was toward wanting to, to, to see their Messiah. Sure. Until the time of John the Baptist, there was no real perceived opportunity. But now there is. But now there is. So John is, is putting that perceived opportunity in place saying, look, the time has come. Your desire has always been there. The time has come. Change your attitude to one of repentance. Desire plus perceived opportunity truly does equal what our attitude is. And once we figure out how to get to where we want our attitude to be, then we can do things that are very, very important and can help our lives to change. In the second hour, we're going to get into three things. There are three kinds of things that can totally mess up your attitude. Three kinds of things. Everything in life comes down to these three kinds of things. So in the second hour, you're going to have to stay with us, figure out what they are, how to combat them, so we can keep our attitude one of following after Christ. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we will be back after the news and all of that. Christianity does require an attitude check. Where's yours? We'll be back soon. Think about it.
time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. We usually open with a quote. Yes. We're talking about attitude. Yeah. I'm going to quote Albert Einstein. You wouldn't think he'd be the guy to quote on attitude. Let's hear it. Albert Einstein said, weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. Ooh. Now that's profound. Yes. Folks, welcome back. I'm Rick. This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, our subject is about attitude. Yes, it is, Rick. Our question is, does Christianity require an attitude check? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 14, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. So in the first hour, we really spent almost the entire hour talking about the context uh, of this parable of the great dinner. Yes. And there was a lot of bad attitudes in the context. Yep. And I think that's one of the reasons Jesus told the parable the way he told it. And there were a lot of Pharisees uh, in the... Right. Audience. Right, because he's having dinner at a Pharisee's house, and, right. and they're all there, and they're skeptical, and they're looking at him, and so forth and so on. So let's just recap the, the, the first hour very, very briefly. The attitude of the Pharisees was one of skepticism toward Jesus and pride in their own standing. Jesus, having gently observed this, has begun teaching them the pitfalls of where their attitude is leading them. We left our parable at the point when the great dinner, which is the calling of Messiah, had been prepared and the master, which was God, sent word out to his invited guests, the Jewish nation, via his servants, John the Baptist. So that's as far as we've got. We, yep. we know the main players and now we, we have the invitations having been sent out. So now what happens? Let's go back to the parable, Luke chapter 14. Uh, verse 18. But before we, we, we read that, Jonathan, folks, if you have a thought on attitude and the importance of attitude or an experience with attitude, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And if you have a smartphone, don't forget, you can get our free app at your app store. Go to Christian Questions Radio and uh, send us a message on your app and we'll read it over the air. That's right. The last message we got was kind of a riddle, but yeah. it was kind of cool. But we love to see the messages on the app, so please feel free uh, to do that. All right, Luke, uh, back to the parable, Luke fourteen eighteen. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Okay. So the invitations had gone out long ahead. Yes. All right. But they all alike began to make excuses. Nobody wanted to hear that the time had arrived. Nobody was, was willing to go. And it says they all alike made excuses. Uh, and again, the mathematical equation for figuring out how to, get your, how to understand your attitude is what? Desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude. So, Jonathan, in this parable, there's going to be three very specific excuses. And they are three specific excuses that lead us to three very distinct areas of our life that can really kill or make our attitudes. We're going to talk about those in a moment in the context of desire 
plus perceived opportunities can equal attitude. Let's go back, though, to the um, the Fox News report on negative attitude can cost you. And in the previous sound bites, they were saying that uh, um, it can actually cost you in terms of your, your paycheck if you have a negative, negative attitude in the workplace. And the last soundbite was talking about cynicism and how cynicism really kills um, not only your own attitude and, and ability, but that of those around you as well. And in this soundbite, they're really going to be talking a little bit more about your attitude is going to dictate what you end up finding. And Dickinson says what you look for, you find. And so if you are looking for solutions to problems, you're looking for positivity, you're looking for growth and efficiency, you're most likely going to find that. It is possible to change your attitude. Dickinson says start looking at how you approach a problem. A pessimist may focus primarily on the problem. Um, what's wrong, what happened, what, what was broken, who broke it. The optimist may be more likely to focus on, okay, now we have this problem, but how are we going to fix it? And Dickinson encourages people who are natural cynics to single out their more positive co-workers and talk to them. Find out how they approach problems and what you can do to change your approach. See, now the key part of that is if you're the cynic looking for the positive person, you're going to them to listen to what they say, not to tell them what you think. Not to bring them down. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. That's right. Because attitude is contagious one way or another. And it just, it's important, though. You get what you look for. We, we are, in many ways, self-fulfilling prophecies. So, so Jonathan, we, we're at the point in the parable where the people who are invited begin to make excuses. And here really begins the core of the lesson that Jesus is teaching. We all have a life, and in that life there are many things that take our attention. This is fact. So much, so much so that we can lose out on the great things because we are focused on other things. What determines our focus? It's our a, attitude. Yes, right? It's our attitude. John one eleven. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. So this parable is showing the rejection of Messiah, the rejection of the great dinner, uh, in, in terms of a fulfillment of prophecy. The gospel can be received by those who are of a seeking attitude. For those who think they have already found everything they need, there's no reason for them to be looking anymore. Right. So you have a closed-off attitude. But if you have that attitude of seeking and trying to find and looking and learning and trying to, to, to move up, then the whole, the whole thing ends up being a little bit different. When you, when you brought that statement out on the outline, I was thinking, could there be a parallel lesson for Christian leaders today with the complacency and traditions like there was back then for the Pharisees and scribes. And I think absolutely so. We we have to be so careful. Again, this is mirror. Mm-hmm. You have to yes. keep looking Look in, in the, the mirror. mirror. Yeah. But when we see the... And, and last week's program, the, the subject matter was, is the power of the gospel fading? Mm-hmm. And if you remember, some of the st- statistics said that there are fewer Christians, especially in this country, than there were. Right. But the other problem with that statistic is not only are there fewer Christians, but there are more Christians that are part of the prosperity gospel, which doesn't focus on Christ. It focuses on me. Mm. So there are even fewer from the standpoint that we're not looking for what Christianity, what the gospel truly offers. And that is a way to follow Jesus because it was the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, not the good news of what I can get. Gotcha. Okay, what I can get can be good news. But that's not what the gospel is about, okay? (laughs) So to define, 
to help to define the three, because remember at the end of the last hour we said there's three things, Mm -hmm. three things that get in the way of our attitude. To help define those three things, let's go to the explanation of part of another parable, the parable of the sower from Mark 4, 11 and 12. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive and may indeed listen but not understand so that they may not turn again and be forgiven all right that is the idea that some have been given the secret of the kingdom but others have not right they've been ignored essentially the parable of the sower shows us three kinds of failure in receiving the gospel by those who receive and grow the seed in the thorny ground they don't die but they don't produce fruit either remember there was the stony ground the thorny ground and um, um, and I think by the wayside. By the wayside, yeah. You know, so there were three different areas, but in the terms of the thorny ground, where the gospel seeds actually grew, mm-hmm. there was three problems in that in that area, and I, and I think if you look at the three problems in that area, they're going to fit really well with the three excuses given in this particular parable. So let's take a look. What are those three problems? Mark four, uh, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lore of wealth and the desire for other things comes in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. Doesn't that kind of sound like what we were just talking about with the prosperity gospel? It really does. <laughs> so what are the three areas? The cares of the world the lore of wealth, and the desire for other things. And they choke out the word. All right? Now, all of these three things have to do with desire. Yes, okay? you're right. Things that we want. The cares of the world, these are the things that our desires are focused on. The lure of wealth, uh, something that our desire can be focused on. The desire for other things, obviously. So, again, desire plus perceive opportunity equals attitude. So where's your desire? Right. And where you, when you figure out where your desire is, then you look at what you see as your potential opportunity to achieve that desire. Mm-hmm. And if it's very high, your attitude is higher. If it's very low, your attitude is terrible. <laughs> so you've got these three things in, in that particular parable with, where the seed is sown among the thorns. Now, there's three other attitude shapers from the sower parable. These attitude shapers from the sower parable fit well with the three sources of sin. Now, see, this is really fascinating how all this stuff fits together. It really is. In 1 John, he lays out three sources of sin in our lives. 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, again, in 1 John, in John, John lists three different things. What are they? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So we have three sets of three. Yes. We're talking about there's three different excuses in the parable we're talking about today. There are three different reasons that the seed sown in thorny ground doesn't produce fruit. It grows into something, but it doesn't ever do what it's supposed to. Right. And then we have three sources of sin. And our assumption here is that those three sets of three are actually all echoing those three things you just read from First John. How fascinating. Wow. And what does all this mean? Because it gets complicated. Well, you're doing mathematics. You've got the equation for attitude. Now you've got three times three. And what do you do? It comes down to let's figure out where our desires are. 
and then what our perceived opportunities are. So then we can control our attitude. That's what this is really, really, really all about. So the first excuse in this first parable, Jonathan, was what? I have to see my new piece of land. Okay. Let me go look at it. That's oh, right. <laughs> isn't it beautiful? Well, but you think about it. If you bought a piece of land in those days, you probably bought it to cultivate it. Your livelihood. Right. Sure. So, so maybe it's your new opportunity for great wealth. Okay. But it, and it's, it's probably some kind of an accomplishment that you want to go say, hey, look what I got. Yeah, but looking at it doesn't create anything. It <laughs> well, just means looking at it. That's, that's <laughs> true. That's true. But you may be starting to think through what you're going to do with the land. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to justify oh, it a okay. little bit. <laughs> but the point is the invitation was already there. That's right. And now you've got this piece of land that suddenly you can't look at any other time but the time for the, the dinner. Come on now. You know, there, there's a conflict here. So the new piece of land. Let's take a look at, in terms of the, the, the thorny ground, there were three areas of concern. What would that be? The cares of the world. And in terms of First John 2, the sources of sin? The lust of the eyes. Okay. Let's see if all three of these things, looking at my new piece of land, means that we're focusing on the cares of the world or the desire of the eyes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what advantage is there of the owner thereof, saying the beholding of them with his eyes? Okay, so what advantage is there? <laughs> it's exactly what you said. Hey, I can go look at what I've got. See, our desire is easily stimulated by what we see. Yes, it is. That's the lesson of the parable. Forget the land for the moment. It's something that you're looking at. We, what we see ignites our imagination for what we would like to have or to be, and that sets our attitude toward a narrow and pride-laden focus. And that's the key. What we see triggers. It, it triggers desire, which will eventually trigger attitude. Jesus saw his audience as living with this attitude of, narrow, of a narrow, pride-laden focus. The question is, do I fit this particular description? Am I looking at the things that I have saying, oh, look at what I've got, to the exclusion of things that are higher? See, that's the key. Christ-likeness. Right. So what's the solution? And, and Jonathan, as you read this, Psalm 119, 36 and 37, I'm going to inter interrupt you. Turn my heart. Okay. Turn my heart, turn my desire. To your decrees and not to selfish gain. See, it, our desire, the prayers to have our desire turned, not from what we have, but to God's decrees. Turn my eyes. Ah, there is the perceived opportunity. Turn what I'm looking at, my perceived opportunities. From looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. There's the new attitude. Desire plus perceived opportunity truly does equal attitude. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does Christianity require an attitude check? Coming up. So what is the one thing that drives the attitudes of most people? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Does Christianity Require an Attitude Check? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, we're talking about the importance of attitude and what it can do for us and what it can do against us. And in this particular parable, there are three reasons, three excuses. I won't call them reasons. We'll call them excuses that people can't come to this great feast. The first one was, I have to go see my new piece of land. And that directly fits in with the, with the warning in First John about the lust of the eyes. And it fits in with the cares of this world in the thorny ground where the, the plant could not grow up and actually produce fruit. So this is a real danger zone area, this lust of the eyes, this, this, this focusing our desire on what we see because what we see directly uh, affects, uh, com- comes out of our desire and directly affects what our attitude will be. So that was the first excuse. Let's take a, take a look at the second excuse, Luke, uh, Luke fourteen nineteen. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Okay, so excuse number two is what? Uh, I need to unveil my new income stream. That's right. <laughs> you don't buy yoke of oxen to just go on a Sunday afternoon ride. <laughs> you buy yoke of oxen so they can work. Right. So they can produce for you. And so if you you bought five yoke of oxen, what you're saying is, hey, you know this 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 is my new power. These are my new toys. These are my new powerhouse tools. They're gonna make me money. You know, I need to go check them out. I need to try them out. Now, interesting. One person alone can't try out five yoke of oxen. Okay. Okay. So I All mean, right. you're, you're you're talking about really a, a, a production here. So when you think about that, when you go to the the, the parable of the sower and the thorny ground, mm-hmm. there was a there were two other excuses in there that for for not producing fruit. Fruit. What was one of them? The lore of wealth. And when you go to First John, the three excuse, the three reasons for sin. The boastful pride of life. The lure of wealth. The boastful pride of life are reflected in this excuse, I need to unveil my new income stream, my new yoke of oxen. Mm -hmm. And that reminds us of another parable that Jesus told that really fits into this whole idea of things getting in the way for the proper attitude. And it really has to do with desire. And again, as you read this scripture, Jonathan, you know I'm going to interrupt you. That's okay. Luke 12, 16 to 21. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Okay, see, now he's got this desire. I've, I've got so much. What should I do? His desire is to preserve and take care of all of this great wealth that he has now amassed. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And there's the perceived opportunity. Well, I've got these barns. They're certainly not big enough. I'm just going to tear them down and build a big, big, brand new one so I can store all of this wealth. So you've got the desire. You've got the opportunity. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. There's the attitude. Relax. It's all good. You got everything you could possibly want. So the attitude is a direct result of what his desire was and what he saw his opportunities were. 
what happens in the parable? But God said to him, you fool. This <laughs> okay, ve- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you are prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So that parable is very similar to this parable in that it's saying, what's the most important thing to you? Be rich towards God. Right. And it comes down to what's the most important thing to you? What's your, what's your desire? What do you really want, desire deep down in your heart more than anything else? And folks, for a lot of us, if we ask ourselves that question and we're willing to answer it with truth, it might be depressing. It really might be depressing if we are trying to live a life that is godly uh, because too often our desires – Selfish. Yes, very <laughs> Unfortunately. much. Folks, if you have a thought about attitude, about our desires, about turning them to a godly way, you can certainly message us on the app or you can call us at 866-985-4255. Our desire is easily stimulated by what we have and by what we think we can gain from what we have. See, that's the thing. It's not just what you have. Well, what do you think you can gain from what you have? Our attitude rises and falls according to that focus. Now, Jesus saw the blindness that his audience had to higher things. Remember, they're clamoring for the best seat. and mm-hmm. They're just, they're just all, all, about, all about the earthly things. He saw them trapped by an attitude of complacency. And again, the question here is really simple. What about me? It's really easy to look at the attitude of somebody else and say, ha! Look at that complacent attitude, will you? I mean, you can see it a mile away. Can't that guy see outside of himself? Can't he see how he's talking one, one way but living another? And we can look at that. But the, the question, like you said earlier, it's a mirror It's program. a mirror question. You've got to say, what about me? So what is the solution for this? It's really, really simple. It's not, it's not easy, but it's simple. Matthew six nineteen to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures. Okay, store up for yourselves treasures. Store up for yourselves desire. See, because our treasure, if something is a treasure to you, that means you have desire towards it. Yes. All right. You can have you can have you know a little kid like like my 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 grandson Dominic. He has his treasures. You know he's got his little action figure guys. Mm-hmm. Those are his treasures. Sure. Those are very very important to him. Yes. Somebody older, it's going to be something entirely different. So it's saying the scripture is saying store up your desires where in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And see, there is the opportunity. The perceived opportunity is. Why don't you store your treasures, what you deeply desire in heaven, because nobody will ever take that from you. Mm, That is not something you can lose. You know, a recession hits, it's not going to affect the (laughs) the value of your spiritual portfolio. Okay? It's going to remain intact. So This is a good subject because it's tax time. (laughs) People are thinking about (laughs) where they are and where they're going. That's right. And, and, And it's also a good subject because it's taxing. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of making sure that our attitude is really ha- is, is built on the right kinds of desires and the right kinds of perceived opportunities. Now, back to the Matthew 6 scripture I keep interrupting, uh, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart, there your attitude will be also. So, you know, this, this little mathematical thing, desire plus perceived opportunity equals attitude – It comes up now in all these scriptures. It really does. So what we're saying, folks, is Jesus is showing us how to figure out how to to change our attitude. And he's showing us by saying, use this equation. 
desire plus perceived opportunity will show you where you are. What truly is your desire? And then how, where you go from there. Let's go back to uh, the a sound bite, a quick soundbite from Fit, uh, Fit Life TV. Uh, he's talking about how to reframe your attitude on his Mindset Monday. And this is a very good piece of advice. This might be tough for some people, depending on the situation. But I know if you're watching this video, you've attracted it into your life for a reason. And number three is to laugh when it hurts. If you've ever seen a kid fall on the playground and hurt themselves, if nobody's watching them, what do they do? Oftentimes they just giggle about it, you know? So put yourself in a state of spontaneous laughter for no reason. And there's something about laughter because what what it's really kind of saying is you're not taking yourself too seriously. Mm, and that's good. And to be able to o- overcome that, you know, on, on Fridays, one of the things I do on Fridays is um, I get to leave work early and go get Dominic off the bus. Mm, okay, nice. so, so I go there and then, you know, I... I hang out with him for about an hour before his mom gets home. And um, we usually have some kind of epic battles in the living room, you know. <laughs> Superhero battles. Yeah, you yeah. know, something going on. Okay. And, you know, and, and this past Friday, we're having this epic battle. He falls down, he bangs his head on the floor. You know, and there's that little moment where, uh-oh. Should I cry? Yeah. But then he just started laughing, and I started laughing, and it just was part of the fun, like, oh, man, that hurt. And he you know, got up and just got back to it. And the idea is it comes down to the attitude. It really was the attitude, and he was in an attitude of just having, having fun in the moment and didn't want the bang on the head. Don't tell his mom. But the bang on the head <laughs> to, to get in the way. And and so that principle really works even when we're adults. And the Pharisees weren't willing to giggle and laugh at themselves, were they? No, they and and they were looking so downwardly at Jesus. Yeah. And what he stood for and what he did, there was no joy. And see, laughter really does can equate to joy. There was no joy in their perception of Jesus. Right. And because there was no joy, there could be no understanding. Because he contradicted so many things. But if they could see the joy, they could see the understanding. Desire, perceived opportunity, equals attitude. So we've got the first two excuses. I've got to go look at my land, you know, the lust of the eyes. Uh, I need to unveil my new income stream. The oxen and um, the five yoke of oxen. Right. The lure of wealth, the boastful pride of life. What's the third excuse? Another, oh, well, 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 for, yeah, let's read uh, in, in Luke fourteen twenty. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So excuse number three is? I am newly married, so back off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, we're going to hold that thought. Those are Rick's words. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm newly married. Leave me alone. Uh, the, so the two aspects from the, the parable of the thorny ground... What was it? Desire for other things. And from the three reasons for sin in First John? The lust of the flesh. So now, when you think about it, I'm newly married. I mean, surely this is a legitimate reason and not an excuse. I mean, being newly married is being newly married. Sure. There is certainly reason to, to say, look, you don't want to be left alone. And that is understandable. But, but, the opportunity that Jesus was showing them and the attitude that they had adopted... It was only an excuse because, again, the invitation had gone out. It's not that this, this great dinner came up as some surprise. No. So it was just – it was using something very legitimate as an excuse. 
And that is part of what can make our attitudes really go sour. When we have something that has legitimacy and, and, and use it in, in, improperly. Ooh. Jesus is simply illustrating the necessity of priorities. God and his will and his plan first, always. Yep. Those Lo- are the priorities. Love me more than these. Desire. Do we desire God's plan, God's will, God's opportunities first? Plus perceived opportunity. How can I live that? Equals the attitude. Is it Christ-likeness in our, uh, in our attitude, or is it it's all about me attitude? First Corinthians seven twenty-nine to thirty-one. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now you know we just did a program a few weeks ago about love and marriage. We're not saying to ignore your spouse. <laughs> and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoiced as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. The point of the scripture, Jonathan, is our, our desires easily rationalized with the parts of our lives that are truly important. And there are parts of our lives that are truly important. Sure. Which gives us an attitude of self-justification. And that's the thing we have to be careful of. Jesus' message here is that we should seek to rather adopt an attitude of God-glorification replacing the attitude of self-justification. Much more fitting for the privilege that he was pointing to. So the paradigm shift of the world today um, versus the kingdom reality, which will replace today. Exactly. And, 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 you know... I, if I said that at the beginning, we wouldn't have to go through all of this. <laughs> there, that's, that's exactly it. It is the difference between seeing what's surrounding us in the world today, saying, but there's a higher opportunity. It's not as tangible, but it's higher, and it's more real, mm-hmm. and it's eternal. Eternal. Which yeah, this way, is temporary. Right, which way do you want to go? Shift your attitude, and you can shift where you end up. And that really, really comes down to it. And how do you shift your attitude? You have to understand what it is you desire. You have to understand what you see is the perceived opportunity to get what you desire. And that tells you what your attitude is. Shift your desire, shift your attitude. Shift your perceived opportunities, shift your attitude. What's the solution for this third difficulty of the desire for other things or the lust of the flesh? It's Romans 14, 5 through 8. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. All right. Each person's desire has to be fully focused. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does it for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. Okay, there's the perceived opportunity. Now, this scripture particularly is talking about, in in those times, there was a big debate among Christians about eating meat that had previously been offered to idols. Okay. And Paul is saying... Some had a problem with it, and others didn't. Right, and so the apostle is saying, look, for those who have a problem with it, they have a problem with it because that's part of their conscience. Let them be. They're doing it as unto God. So their, their desire was in the right place. Okay. They, they wanted higher things. So let them be. They're doing it as unto God. Honor and respect that because their opportunity is to live and die for Christ. That's, so this is talking about the right desire, the right opportunity, and then verse 8. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And what a great attitude. (laughs) So you see how it always works out. This is how we put our attitude in its right place. 
This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Does Christianity Require an Attitude Check? Coming up, so what do all of our well-contrived excuses actually do for us? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Does Christianity Require an Attitude Check? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and tweet us at CQ Net Radio. I love that intro coming back in because I feel alive. You know, it, it, it's an attitude thing. It really is. And when we are focused on the right things, when our desire is toward the right uh, objective, Christ-likeness, when the perceived opportunity is, hey, there's a calling for that, there's fellowship available for that, there's study, there's learning, there's development for that, then your attitude is, hey, this is cool, what could be better? You got it. That's where we want to get to. The question you asked, though, at the end of the last segment was, okay, so what do all of our well-contrived excuses actually do for us? The answer is not much. <laughs> Waste our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it. That's exactly it. Well, let's go back to the parable. Remember, in the parable, those who were making the excuses were the, were the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm. They were the ones who were invited in the parable. So what happens after these well-contrived excuses? Luke chapter 14, verse 21. So the servant returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So with the rejection of the nation of Israel. So the nation was represented in those who were invited. God was upset with the attitude of the nation. Yes. So he says, he opens the door to those who would be willing. So who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? Okay. What, what, what's this mean? Well, let, let's, let's go to another verse, and then we're going to come back to those, because this is very, very important. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. This is about attitude. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is saying that, look, come to me. If you are carrying heavy burdens, I can help you with this. And again, when you see the desire for relief from your burdens and you see the perceived opportunity of giving them to Jesus, mm. your attitude is one of thankfulness. Oh, for sure. So it all comes down to focusing on that. So. Let's go to who would be represented by, like you said, by the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Well, the invitation, remember, is still local. He says, he says go into the town. So it's still in town. Okay. It's still in town. All right. So we can easily see that it represents individual Jews of the time and no longer the nation in general. Okay, so you can picture the disciples, those that were following Jesus that were attracted right. to him. Okay. Right, right. right. And, and after Pentecost, the, the call went out originally just to the Jews as well. That's right, for several years. Yeah, three and a half years okay. or so. Okay. 
after the three and a half years, um, then you had it expand. But until then, it was still local. It was still in town. But on an individual basis, not a national basis. Right. Okay. Okay. So there's a difference here. So what did the excuses get them? It got them to not be able to go as a collective. They lost. That's what the excuses got them. They lost. They can go look at their land. They can go try out their oxen. They can go, you know, be married. That's all nice and wonderful. But you didn't have time for something higher. You just didn't have time. So what happens after this? So the call goes out to individuals. And in the parable, what happens next? Luke fourteen twenty-two to 24. And the servant said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be fulfilled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Okay, so I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. What's happened now? Something is different. They've gone out. They've gone to the people, the people in town, and there still weren't enough of them. So what does he say to do now? Go out into the roads and the lanes. Go out further and further and further. So let's hold that thought. And, and then we're going to go to Jesus putting the attitude of the Pharisees into the result of the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 37 and 38. Jesus is telling them, finally. He's told them. He's tried reasoning with them. He's tried showing them. He's tried answering their questions. He's tried being firm. And now he's just calling them out. Calling them out and telling them exactly what they are because he is now pretty much out of time. His crucifixion is not far from this. Matthew 23, 37, 38. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Okay, so when he says, Behold, thou that stonest the prophets that are sent unto thee. See, that's their misplaced desire. They ignored the prophets. They wanted what they wanted, and they ignored the prophets. He says, How often would I have gathered together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? That's the ignored opportunity. Jesus was right there. And they missed it. And they ignored the opportunity. And ye would not. And that is the idolatrous attitude. So their desire to do it their own way, missing the opportunity, opportunity of Jesus, ends up giving them a lost blessing. Your house is left to you desolate. So you can see how it works both ways. We can channel that desire to the right things, look for the right kinds of opportunities that are spiritually oriented to get the right attitude, or you can follow the path that, the, that this says, the, the new mathematical equation, don't try this at home, <laughs> misplaced desire plus ignored opportunity equals an idolatrous attitude, which results in a lost blessing. Ooh, I don't choose that one. Well, and, but that's the default for most, because we're not willing to really examine what our desires are all about. So now the invitation goes throughout all of the rest of the world, beginning with Cornelius. So we're back to the parable, and now they're going into the streets and the lanes and, 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 and the highways and the byways. They're going much, much further. Acts chapter 13, verses 46 and 47. Then both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you. Since you reject it and judge yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life, we are now turning to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So you can see that this parable is about attitude and how the attitude of those who were invited was so completely detrimental to their end results. And and one note, Rick, um, this call is going out to the Gentiles is not on a national basis. It's it's on an individual basis. Right, right. Because after the invitation went, uh, now it was to whomever you can find. Right. One so, here, one there. Exactly, exactly, okay. exactly. So that, that's that's another important part of this thing. So really what we've got to understand is our attitude will dictate what we do and how we do it. So what is your desire? And when you look at whatever it is you want, if you have, if you have a bad attitude right now, think about well, what's causing it. What is it that I really want that I'm aggravated about? And you can usually pinpoint what you're aggravated about. Uh, and then... Why am I aggravated about it? That's the perceived opportunity or perceived lack of opportunity. Then you can figure out what's driving your attitude, and then you can go back and say, okay, should I be desiring something different? Let's go back to uh, Fit Life TV one more time, how to reframe your attitude. Uh, And this is something that we've been talking about. He's just going to say it a little differently. Change your mood. Let's listen. Instead of focusing on how you can change the situation, focus on changing your mood. Have you ever had your mood just been at an all-time low and it just kind of brings things into your life that day that maybe didn't serve you or you felt bad about or you're just kind of stuck in the mud all day long? Well, if you can change your mood by doing something or raising your vibration, then ultimately your reality starts to change as well. So how do you change your mood? Listen to music, uh, hang out with kids, maybe write a thank you note to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while. And you'll notice as your mood starts to change, the way that your attitude was based on that situation that you couldn't change or you thought you couldn't starts to shift as well. I like the the example, uh, the the um, suggestion: hang out with kids. Hmm. Kids can just lift you up. That's a good. They point. just can lift you up. But the idea is take control by understanding that our attitude is going to bring us one place or another, and we can actually choose. You can choose to change your attitude, but you have to choose what you're going to focus on as your primary desire. It's our choice. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Those are the three areas that bring us down. We can choose to rise above them if we if we decide to. Jonathan, I just want to take a left turn for a, a moment here. Okay, a uh, left? All right. Yeah, a left turn. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got a message on, on, on the CQ app uh, that's not really related to the program. And I'm not going to give a, an answer to the question here, but I don't have any way to give an answer because I, I need to get an email or something to respond to. The, the questioner asks, is the story of Jesus really only according to Paul? Are we listening to one person's version of Jesus, that is, Paul? Well, the answer is no, we're not. But to give a better explanation, if the uh, messenger is listening, uh, send me an email address and we can get back to you with a more substantial answer than just no. (laughs) (laughs) All right? And... um, and folks, that's that's an important thing. When we get messages on the app, it just it doesn't show any any form of identification other than it comes from the app unless you give us something. So okay. if, if you're looking for a response, give us a place to respond to. Or you can email us at Rick at Christian Quest, uh, ChristianQuestions dot com dot net. Or actually both work. Okay. Okay. Right. Rick at ChristianQuestions dot net or Rick at ChristianQuestions dot com. True. If you have questions, certainly email us in there as well. So, so, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this all up now, humble desire 
plus received opportunity equals an attitude that glorifies God. We're taking the equation now and we're focusing it. Not just desire, but humble desire. Not just perceived opportunity, but received opportunity equals not just attitude, but an attitude that glorifies God. This is the moneymaker. This is the one (laughs) where your treasure will multiply. Not physical dollars and cents. Please be sure you understand Thank that's you. not what Rick said. But this is, the, this is where you hit pay dirt. This is where treasure is multiplied. But it's heavenly treasure, not earthly. It has nothing to do with dollar signs. It has everything to do with, with the glory of God and the grace of Christ being upon us. Bottom line lessons for us based on the rejection of those whose hearts and minds were not open to accept the gospel when, the, uh, when Jesus first came – we benefit from them. We do. Okay. Here are here's three really important points. What are they? True Christianity is an invitation. Let us set our desire on this most amazing opportunity and focus our attitude to be one of humble acceptance. It's an invitation. It's not a given. And if you don't accept it as an invitation, then it's not special. And if we're given the special opportunity, we really should humbly be thankful for such a thing. And let me clue you. It's not because you're so smart. (laughs) It's not because you're so big and powerful. It's because you're not. That's why the invitation is there. What's the next point? True Christianity is a distinct and high privilege. Let us have an attitude of single-mindedness and reaching up. That really is what we want to be doing is reaching up rather than reaching around. And what's the third point? God does not need me to fulfill his plan. Let us for, forge an attitude of thankfulness for his unmerited grace. He doesn't need me. He needs individuals. I don't have to be one of them. I can choose to be if I work the work that I'm supposed to. So final scripture, Jonathan, and we're going to put this new equation right into this final scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6-8. to Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. There's the humble desire. It starts off, humble yourself. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And there's the received opportunity. Jesus cares for you. God cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. An attitude that glorifies God right there. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. And that is how we find a way to focus our attitude on godly things. We have to figure out what is it that I desire right here, right now? And is that desire in agreement with what spirituality requires of me? What do I see as the opportunity around me? And is that opportunity in agreement with spirituality? And finally, what is my attitude? And does that attitude glorify God, glorify self, or not glorify anything? (laughs) Folks, attitude (laughs) truly is an important thing. Focus on it, learn about it, work on it, think it through, and change your attitude to glorify God. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But till then, your attitude. Think about it.